Peace and welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Season 3 of Artistry is powered by Words, Beats, and Life. Peace, 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 peace. Welcome everyone to another episode of Artistry where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you're returning, get welcome back. We have a fun-filled event for you all today. Uh, we got a lot going on. And so before we bring on today's guest, a couple of announcements. Uh, we've submitted a panel proposal to bring our program sketch pads, which we've talked about on the show, to South by Southwest um, next spring. They are currently holding their panel picker voting, and we would love for you to support our program. And so here we have for you the link. The link will be in the uh, description of yeah. this video, so you can be sure to check that out after the show. Yes, uh, but yes. definitely be sure to support us. Sketchpads has been extremely successful, and um, shout out to our sponsors. Shout out to Words, Beats, and Life. Shout out to Blick, uh, Blick Art Materials. Um, shout out to Bites and Beats as well. And hopefully in a few weeks, we'll be able to announce our latest sponsor for Sketchpads. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, definitely a great event, and we're hoping to bring it to South by Southwest next year. So, fingers crossed, prayers up, all that good stuff. High five for Jesus. Let the church say amen. 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 Okay. And so, <laughs> what we got next? So, in addition to that, so we are, if you are local, if you're in the DMV and you've missed previous Sketchpads programs, we are at it again. And so, we will be at Spizzy's second location, mm -hmm. which is located Brandywine. in Brandywine. And so, if you've, again, if you've missed us, you can join Stan and I. Stan will be doing live beat set i will be doing live illustration demonstration again at spizzy in brandywine and that is at the brandywine shopping mall yes brandywine shopping mall and so we will be there so join us and get um, some some art supplies and mm -hmm. some smoothies absolutely <laughs> and a good time an overall yep. good time and last but not least yes also next week next sunday we will be at green Flight Festival event located at the Wharf in the D.C., at the D.C. Wharf, um, which will be led by uh, Javier Starks, a.k.a. One Wheel Wing. One Wheel Wing will be doing um, dem live demonstrations. If you are into PEV, personal electric vehicles, whether it's scooters, skateboards, bikes, etc., or you just want to learn more, please come out. That's, again, at the D.C. Wharf on Sunday, uh, August 28th. Yeah, absolutely. So now that we've uh, paid the bills and promoted upcoming events, it is time yes, to yikes. bring on our guest. So who is our awesome guest that we have today? So today's guest is a museum specialist and oral historian who facilitates and captures heroic stories of ordinary individuals. She has worked at the Washington, D.C. Public Library System as a special collections librarian and oral historian and the regional and has worked at the Reginald Lewis Museum here right here in the DMV in Baltimore. Please welcome Kelly Elaine Navis to the show. Kelly, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. And it's, it's navies. 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 I'm so sorry. Apologies. Okay. My, my family might be out there and they'll say, you didn't say anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. And I was like, I'm looking at him like, okay, what am I supposed to say it again? People want to <laughs> exoticize it. It's just right. like the Navy. 
<laughs> I got teased when I was a kid, Army in the Navy. That kind of <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the program. Absolutely. We're so happy to have you. Um, yes. And so before we get started, you know, as with most of us, right, all of us during these last two years dealing with the pandemic, we're still dealing with the pandemic. How have you how are you and how have you been impacted by all of this? Well, it's been very interesting. I have uh, one daughter, so we were together from the beginning of the pandemic and until now, and she was in high school. So her last two years of high school, we were in the house together for almost two years. Mm. I'm working, she's finishing school. It was, and she sings. So she was a student at Duke Ellington. So she would be in oh. one room and often I would be in meetings and people would hear her in the background singing opera. <laughs> it was a uh, wow. It was something, but I, I would have yeah. to say that I'm sure we fared better than most. I mean, I was able yeah. to, to keep working. I was able to work from home. So I know that that was a blessing. And, and also, um, I didn't catch COVID until very recently, just three weeks ago. So wow. the whole time, yeah, and um, I, I got vaccinated and that whole thing. She, she caught it a couple of times. She actually had it during the holidays and I didn't catch it. So uh, because she was out with friends and and doing things. But um, I I think it's been a a learning experience. I mean, we're still in it to a certain Mm -hmm. degree, but it's definitely been quite a learning experience for all of us. And, um, you know, I think we'll be looking back on this time and realizing, well, look at all the gray hairs, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) All of us. We made it. People think I'm I'm being dramatic, but I'm always like, I'm so thankful to be here because a lot of people make it. Yeah. And yeah. I still not. So, yeah, it's, it was it's yeah. a serious, serious thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. And I'm happy that you're doing much better. You know, yeah, definitely. Thank you. So so one of the things that we we love to get into um, in the show, both of us have a visual arts background and then um, also performing arts as well. And uh, most of our guests uh, either have worked in the arts in some way, shape or form are arts educators uh, performing artists um, somehow connected and we know that you know um, obviously the reason why you're here is the arts have played a role in your life as well mm-hmm. so we like to start with knowing what was your introduction to the arts you know that's a great question and I would have to say um, introduction would be when I was an infant because mm. my mother would read poetry to me uh, Paul Lawrence wow. Dunbar and I, I have vivid memories of her reading wow. um, Little Brown Baby with Sparkling Eyes and when wow. Mahalia sings and all of those things to me in the, in the original dialect uh, voice that she could do so well. So that was probably my earliest. And then, you know, I was raised during the Black Arts Movement era um, in the Bay Area. So, um, and my father I was an educator. They're both passed on now, both my parents. My father was an educator and he taught African-American studies. So we would have poetry readings in the house. His students would come and do open mics, those kind of things when I was when I was a kid. So I was exposed to black poetry, spoken word poetry at a very, very young age um, and African dance. And I dabbled in all those those things. I never had the voice that my mother or my daughter has, but I tried to sing a little bit and I danced. And then I went to this camp in the Bay Area called Casadero Music and Arts Camp. Mm-hmm. And there we're like immersed in the arts. So I did that two or three summers in a row and I did dance, but you could do either music or, or, or uh, dance or theater. And at mm-hmm. the time I was dancing a lot, doing a lot of um, African and Brazilian modern dance kind of thing. So yeah, th- that would, that would be my introduction. I think the arts, and that's one of the reasons people ask me like, 
why I'm so supportive of my daughter's choice mm -hmm. to you know, pursue that. And I can't imagine the world without the arts. I don't understand when right. people yeah. dissuade their children or discourage right. them from pursuing things, especially when they have a gift. It's, it's you know, I hate yeah. to see that when people say, but you should go to law school. Not if you have a gift like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, that's, that's well, we appreciate, we appreciate the fact, uh, one, for you, um, you know, we appreciate you sharing that, but also the fact that, you know, as parents ourselves and uh, we have we have young artists in our family and we're, we're pushing them and and we see the exact same things. You know, mm -hmm. we see how people are discouraged a lot of times. And so I find that a lot of times that comes from, um, you know, maybe people don't have access to people who work in the arts a lot of times. So they like they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't necessarily see it as a traditional job. They think it's this thing that's um, unobtainable, uh, unobtainable for mm -hmm. for most. Like it's out of reach or something. But um, yeah, there's working class musicians. There's working class visual artists, and, and of course we have the celebrities too. It's like mm -hmm. arts are all around us. We really yes. didn't live without the work of all the artists around us. The visual, the music. I mean, absolutely yes it's Every, yeah it's in everything yeah it's in everything absolutely absolutely you know i i read in um i read in with an article where you talked about your first introduction into oral history and how impactful you had a, a an educator a teacher who um really inspired you can you share that story with us so are you talking about, you're probably talking about Barbara Christian, mm -hmm. um, I would imagine, but I do want to back up a little bit because yeah. the, my first actual oral history assignment, and, and actually this teacher and I didn't really get along, but mm -hmm. um, it was a seventh grade um, English class. And the reason why we didn't get along, and I think that's actually important too, um, it was uh, advanced English, mm -hmm. uh, Berkeley school system with this racist tracking system. So I was the only black kid in this class, which is ridiculous um because there were lots of black students in berkeley at that time and um she and i were battling she was always sending me out for talking but she gave this oral history assignment and it was the first time that i was given a formal oral history assignment and i went and and, and we're not from california so i didn't have a lot of elders that i was related to in the area and we can talk about that that relates to the story as well but i interviewed a woman that babysat me and her name was miss alba and Miss Alba was this large black woman who had moved to California um, uh, in the 1920s. Um, and she just had this amazing story. And I had no idea. You know, you see people around you all the time as a young person, and you're not aware of this incredible lives and the stories that they have. And when she told her story, I was like, no way. I thought all you did was, you know, scream at kids and cook in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So after that, I was, I was hooked, but I didn't really pick it up again until college. Yeah. I knew I wanted to do it. Of course, I had, I told you it all relates to the immersion in culture and history that I that I mm -hmm. that I uh, experienced anyway. But I was at Berkeley in African American Studies, and I was in a class with Barbara Christian, the late Barbara Christian, in African American Women's Literature. And in that class, she had this optional assignment to write a paper about a maternal ancestor who'd lived during the 19th century. And of course, it was optional because not not many people could do that. And I had a little bit of a story that my mother had passed down to me mm -hmm. about her great grandmother who had been born in slavery in, in North Carolina. And all she knew at the time was that her great grandmother had been born in slavery in North Carolina. She wasn't sure exactly which part of North Carolina we hadn't uh, she hadn't been back there in, in years and years and years. Um, and uh, she had met her because she lived to be over 100 years old. 
So she had actually met her when she was a little girl. She remembered her face and her smile. And she added, she would always add, I think she was born in Africa. So that was, that was the wishful thinking part of the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> so I decided I would pursue the story um, for this class paper and I turned it into an oral history. I said, I'll make this an oral history project because I was looking for a way to do oral history. And really that's what got me hooked um, into the work that I'm doing now. And I, and I interviewed my grandmother's living siblings who were still living at that time, mm-hmm. uh, mostly in Washington, DC, actually, Washington, DC, Chicago. Um, and that, but that all led me back to Asheville, North Carolina, which is where my mother's roots are, go back about seven generations. Wow. And mm-hmm. so, so I, 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 I did that project that became a senior honors thesis. Eventually I went to Chapel Hill to study at the Southern Oral History Program. And really I just wanted to be in Asheville that whole time. So I spent a lot of time just reconnecting with family, mm-hmm. um, doing oral histories. One thing led to another and I was doing oral histories about the segregated high school in Asheville, um, which was the high school for black students for the whole region um, because they only had one high school for several counties that was available to black wow. students in Western North Carolina, which is Appalachia for those who don't know, mm-hmm. Asheville in the mountains. Um, and so <clears throat> I learned that this high school was was like a centerpiece of the black community there. And when integration came along, the decision was made to demolish the high school. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, you can have integration. We're going to knock down your beautiful school. It was a gorgeous school on top of a hill called the Castle on the Hill. And you can go to the formerly all white school, which, of course, just cut into the heart of the black community. And it came up in every single interview. So I decided to make that the focus of of one of my projects there. Wow. 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 That's amazing. I've been to Asheville. Asheville is beautiful. It's gorgeous over there. Yeah. 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 Y'all wouldn't happen to know offhand how far that is from uh, Enfield, North Carolina. Oh, it's a good distance. It's on the west. Yeah, it's on the other side. I don't know where Enfield is, so it must be pretty far away. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, because anytime someone talk about North Carolina, I always got to, you know, stop for a minute and make sure we ain't related. You know, <laughs> well, you know a lot of the people in this area are from, from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we very well may be. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah, so um, one of the things... Uh, that struck me as you were talking about it. Um, Cause you know, I think sometimes that when we, when we talk about oral history, right? Like just kind of defining what that means, right? Because um, you know, when we, we talk, like obviously there's storytelling, but there's different types of storytelling, right? So when you say oral history, what are the things that come to mind? Like define it for us and um, for some of our uh, listeners and viewers. Absolutely. And I think that's a that's a great question, because a lot of people um, do confuse um, oral history with the oral tradition, which, of course, it is a part of. But people will ask me, are you a storyteller? You know, they don't they don't understand what it is I do exactly. Um, So it's a field of study. It's an art. It's a practice. It involves um, preserving and recording stories um, with people who have experienced history firsthand. Often those are elders, but not always. Sometimes we mm-hmm. interview um, younger people as well uh, about about their stories. And the, the dis- distinguishing um, factor really is that you are, are making sure to preserve that in some kind of way mm-hmm. and and to make that accessible. Right. That's the difficult part, of course, to make that accessible to to other people, to pass it on um, in, in the in the where I work now, of course, the goal is to make it accessible to our public at the museum, at the African American Museum. Um, 
So I think of oral history really as a as an approach to history. It's an approach mm. to history where you understand that history lives beyond the page. It's more than what you have in documents. Mm. It's living and breathing. And that's one of the things I really love about the work that I do, because that's just uh, over and over again. I get to see you know, what history means to people, how history impacts people bodily and spiritually and, and then the whole thing. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just to piggyback off that, like what are like in pop culture, like where are some examples of oral mm -hmm. history? You know, like um, well, there's I'm, great, great examples in pop culture. I don't know. The audience may not remember Miss Jane mm -hmm. Pittman, for example. Mm -hmm. yeah. Miss Jane Pittman. That's that's mm -hmm. a direct one where uh, Cicely Tyson played a character. Mm -hmm. And when actually when I was little and they used to show that on television every year, I thought it was a, a real person. I thought Miss Jane Pittman mm -hmm. was actually a real person. And for those of you who don't know, this was a character created by Ernest Gaines of a black woman who had lived to be 100 years old, and this was in the 1970s. So this character had lived through the Civil War. And in the movie, mm -hmm. and also in the book, she's interviewed by an oral historian. Of course, in, in the movie, that oral historian is a young white man, which is which is interesting as well, because a lot of early oral history in this country is uh, white people interviewing mm -hmm. Black people, such as the WPA slave narratives, mm -hmm. um, which are controversial in many ways, but they're, they're also some of the only records we have with mm -hmm. people who lived through slavery. Um, and those are in some ways the foundation to sort of academic oral history in this country. But but mm -hmm. nowadays people recognize that oral history is more than those projects. Of course, it's the oral tradition that was passed down, um, right. as for example, throughout African-American culture that you wouldn't have those slave narratives if you didn't have people passing down those stories mm -hmm. in different ways and, and the blues and, and you know, different forms of african-american oral tradition so um so i think that's that's a really good so you said pop culture mm -hmm. hip-hop right <laughs> hip-hop is like oral history definitely mm -hmm. we had this hip-hop uh festival at the african-american national museum of african-american history and culture which really taps into that um yeah. you know people who do hip-hop are always telling their stories and sometimes they reach mm -hmm. way back and that's really just a modern they're modern modern day griots which mm -hmm. The, the term for the West African uh, person in the culture who passes down the, the, the stories and tradition of the family and the community. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I would hear different people I've worked with. Um, one in particular who I know would always bring it up. Um, shout out to the brother Odyssey. He would always um, talk about like rappers as reporters, you know, yeah. like because um, uh, I remember there's another artist I work with who sometimes would challenge me when I talk about certain things saying that he was like, yeah, it's like, I hear you talking about it, but he's like, what solutions are you offering? And then another peer of mine was like, he was like, sometimes it's not about like trying to, uh, it's not always about trying to figure out the solution every time. Sometimes it's just reporting what's happening right. because you know, like first we got to discuss what's happening. We can get to the solution, but not everybody recognizes what's going on yet. And so let's take that first step and then get to the next. And so, um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up. When I think back to um, my like sort of knowledge of news, like what was mm -hmm. going on around me when I was in, when I was, when I grew up in the early seventies, Gil Scott Heron, you know, my parents would play mm -hmm. Gil Scott Heron. And so I remember um, when Nixon resigned and I was able to make that like connection because mm -hmm. he had that piece, Watergate Blues, and I would mm -hmm. listen to Watergate Blues. And even though I didn't get all of the references, I knew 
Nixon was a criminal. Like something was yeah. something was going on. Like I, I was able to make that connection, right? Mm-hmm. Through this this Gil Scott Heron, who of course is a poet, rapper. Yeah. yeah. Thing. Yeah, that that piece like broaden your awareness, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, with the with the advancement of technology, um, you know, from the internet to access to DNA and and several other resources, how would you say your work has evolved over the years? Well, I'd say oral history has evolved tremendously, not so much because of, well, also the internet, um, not so much because of the DNA, but because of the changes in technology. So mm-hmm. when I began, I was carrying around tape recorder, right? With cassettes. Yeah. And um, and a lot of oral history was taking place um, on cassettes. And now, so I lived through that shift and it's, it's, it's been amazing, uh, surprising in some ways. I remember the oral histories that I did in the um, early nineties, still using cassette, but right around the time when we were making that shift to digital media and then the internet and mm-hmm. I had people contact me because I wasn't even aware at the time of what the internet was going to look like, um, who were like, oh, I didn't know my interview was going to end up on, you know, the internet. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I didn't either. I mean, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, this work that I was doing. And of course now uh, we're much more transparent with, um, because we know what we're doing with the material and we tell people when they sign their release forms. But I, I think the release forms that they had signed when we, we had no idea, you mm-hmm. know, wanted to explode in, in the way that it did. I mean, I guess some people did, but yeah, those people that were cre- creating it, did, but we didn't. So I went from cassette tapes to mini disc recorders to uh, now, of course, we're doing um, digital uh, videography. So we're filming our oral histories. And then, of course, the way that you make them accessible is completely different. Back then, people had to come into an institution, listen to a recording. And now, of course, you can watch it on your your phone in so many different ways and through a podcast such as this one. So it has really expanded the, the ways that people can assess um, oral histories. Um, DNA, I don't, it's not, now it's, I don't, yeah. now that would be, that's more of a genealogical question. And I do do some genealogy on a personal level, but that's not necessarily a part of my work um, as an mm-hmm. oral historian. So that, that's a good question mm-hmm. though, because I am doing a lot of personal um, research on my family history. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, for for people um, listening and um, watching this now, for those uh, who may be interested in becoming a historian, um, talk a little bit about your your journey some more in terms of what steps did you take? Like, when did you know? And like, what was your process in terms of pursuing opportunities to become an oral historian? Yeah, that's an interesting question, because um, at the time that I started doing oral history, um, there were very few people around doing it. Now it seems like there's a lot of people around me mm-hmm. that are doing oral history. And there's at least one program in the country at Columbia where they're graduating. Um, they, they have a master's program in oral history. But um, when I started out, I would I had very few guides. And I remember looking at um, an article that um, Alex Haley had written about roots. There were a few books, you know, I, you know, I followed his journey because I, I, I saw myself sort of walking in his footsteps, so mm-hmm. to speak. And um, but I would tell people today there, there's there actually there's a tremendous amount of resources. It's very different now. Then it was like I had to explain myself to everyone. You're doing what? I remember right. when I was right. working at. <laughs> I was, I was actually a contractor for the Lewis Museum. Actually, you said I, I worked there, but I was a consultant. And this was actually before they opened, right? So I was oh, wow. doing, I was hired to do um, 
you know, dozens and dozens of interviews for their collection before they actually opened. And I had a friend that was like, when are you going to get a real job? Mm. And <laughs> he did not understand that I was doing what I loved. I was being sent around, I was being paid to go around the state of Maryland interviewing black people. Like, it was like, what are you talking about? I love this. But now there's resources everywhere. You could go to our website and you can find out information about conducting an oral history on your family. You could go to the Oral History Association right. website, which I'm actually the current um, VP of the Oral History Association. And um, if you go to the Oral History Association website, we have a whole page of resources that gives you websites all over the country, different oral history programs all over the country that have how-to guides and so on and so forth. If you can, you can do it as an independent researcher. You don't have to go to school, but if you want to go to school, there are uh, tons of programs throughout the country now. There's not, there's a Southern Oral History Program, there's Columbia, there's Baylor, there's uh, University of Kentucky. There's like all these great programs that do oral history now, if you want to go that route. But if you don't want to do that route, again, you could go to many of these websites and you can start doing your own work, start reading. Um, there's lots of bibliographies on, on how to do oral history. Although I'll be honest, the book that I really want to read hasn't been written yet because I'm working on it, but yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so hold on tight for that. Okay. One. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, we're going to take a quick break so we can shout out our sponsor words beats in life. And so everyone who's tuning in right now, be sure to hang on for a second and uh, we'll be back with more, uh, more from Kelly Navies. All right. I got it that time. Right. You did. Yeah, All right. Okay. All right. You see, did you see the concentration in my face? I was like, wait, focus. Okay. Got it. All right. All right. Everybody hang on for a second. Hi, I'm Terry or Rosina Terry Memolo and I teach roses and concrete here at words beats in life. Visual arts, Probably is one of the things that kept me interested in school and kept me attending. And then of course I went on to art school. It kept me motivated, it kept me focused, gave me a space to express myself, connections with other people, other artists. I teach Roses in Concrete for a few different reasons. One of them is working with flowers and making things is a great hustle. The same inspiration that I needed in school with visual arts, I know that young people need it today, and I believe that's what we pass on when we teach this class. It gives that hope, that inspiration to keep going. That's why I'm with WBL. So enroll in my class at wblinc.org slash academy. And we're back. Hey, hey, All right. All right. right. So going um, back to... Um, the listings of several interviews that you've done in the past, you have performed countless, countless oral history um, where you've interviewed um, several in, in, um, individuals. Do you have a story that stands out to you? There are so, so many. Um, but let's see, where, which ones would I, would I pick out? The one I really like to talk about is one that you can find on our website at the museum now. And that's a fairly recent one um, that I conducted when I um, started working at the museum um, back in, I think we did this interview in 2017, but I've, I've been there since we opened. And this is with Edward Taylor. And Edward Taylor, and this is a part of a project called the Collection Donor Oral History Project. And this is where we're interviewing individuals who donated artifacts to the museum. Because um, wow. for those of you who don't know in the audience, um, uh, 
a large portion of the artifacts that we have at our museum were actually donated by individuals, things that people had in their private collections. So he donated a photograph of him um, in the Korean War when he was just 19 years old. Um, and I interviewed him. Um, and what I, what I do when I come to um, these particular type of interviews is I'm not just interested in the artifact, I want the full story. So I want the story of the person's life. I do start chronologically and I wanna find out, you know, how they ended up in that particular place where they were able to um, come into the possession of whatever that particular artifact is. So we talked about his life growing up on the Eastern shore of Maryland. We talked about, um, him being drafted into the war and going to Korea. And of course, this is the first war that was fully integrated where black and white soldiers were fighting side by side, not in separate units like they had previously. And um, for him coming from segregated Eastern Maryland, that was really a big deal. And then of course he talked about what it was like to return after the war in 1953 and still be asked to sit in the back of a bus. It's just, it's heartbreaking actually. Um, and um, <clears throat> that interview, I mean, I'll never forget that and some of his experiences. And that's, that's another piece of this. So people ask in this, um, the traumatic stories of, of, of racial oppression and racial violence that I, that we get in uh, many, many, many of our interviews. Um, and this, that was one of them, but what stands out in this and, and many others is the triumph. I mean, mm -hmm. some of the experiences that he went through were unspeakable. However, he triumphed. And after all of that, after the things that he witnessing a murder as a child, I mean, all, all these experiences that he went through, um, he comes back, goes to college, becomes a pioneering educator in his hometown and helps to, to integrate the school system and also is an advocate for, for peace. And when he said that he would take students into the woods who were fighting each other and talk to them about the war, pretty much and scare them into being peaceful. Like, you, know, you want violence? You don't know what violence really is, right? Right. <laughs> Wow. That kind of thing. But it's amazing to me, you know, the things that and that's why, you know, really on a, on a personal level, you know, what we're going through now and um, the, the chaos that we're experiencing as in society and the challenges that we're experiencing, racial, uh, that kind of thing. I think about the people that I've, I've interviewed and what they went through. And I'm like, so if they went through that, no matter how hard this seems to be for us. Right. I can go through it too. We can go through it too. So those, that's a message that I get over and over again. But um, I mean, the stories continue. I mean, I, I think one of my, my uh, favorite interviews is with Bill T. Jones, the dancer. Mm -hmm. yeah. Pieces of that are also on the, the Cooper Hewitt website. But he's such an honest person. Like he's just one of those people that you could ask anything and he doesn't flinch, right? He just mm -hmm. answers the question. And it was just, it's, it's, it's amazing to interview someone who has such a strong sense of themselves and who they are um, mm -hmm. and is not afraid to share. Um, but there are many, many, many. I just interviewed um, two people recently, again, people whose names you wouldn't know, but who donated um, something to the museum, um, a woman who's 98 years old who grew up in, um, in Dublin, Virginia. And uh, I interviewed she and her daughter and just... It was really interesting, sort of the the generational take they had on on racism and racial experiences in that town, and how it impacted them differently. It's it's you know, the stories never stop actually, and the, the impact that the stories have. Wow, you know it's it's funny how you um, you mentioned how learning about everyone's experience um, and just how impactful it is. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think for us that are living today. You know, we don't realize how our experiences, you know, impact 
how, you know, how we experience things and how we transfer those experiences mm-hmm. to the next generation. So I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite uh, experiences, of course, is with a family member. And this is one of my very first interviews. And this is with Geraldine Ray. And um, she was my mother's first cousin. And she's the relative that I reconnected with um, in Asheville, who really got me um, going in terms of the family history. But I conducted three different interviews with her. And it was it was mind blowing because I had tried to interview my grandmother's siblings, right, to find out about the life of this ancestor who was born during slavery. But of course, I could only get their memories of an older woman who was their grandmother. And it was it was great. But, you know, there's only so much you could find out about them, um, about someone that way. If, you, if, you, if your grandchildren were to tell your life story, what do they really know? Right? <laughs> right. But it was when I sat down with Geraldine Ray, who um, was about the same age as my mom, a little bit older, but was born in the 30s and grew up in Asheville, her life hadn't changed that much from the life of my great-great-grandmother. So she grew up, you know, living in a rural environment um, and, you know, washing clothes by hand, um, living in a house that didn't have electricity, you know, those kind of things and working to the bone, like doing a lot of the work that the women did during that time. So um, I really got a chance to see a little bit more of what it was like for my great, great grandmother, just by talking to her and asking her in-depth questions about her own life. It was, yeah, that was amazing. That's amazing. And wow. she she passed on recently, so she's um, she's definitely a, an, an ancestor that I that I revere. And, uh, and yeah. I, yeah, you know the other thing I that history has been in the headlines for <laughs> it feels like forever. Mm-hmm. Um, how it, it, basically how you know it's subject of a lot of contention at school boards meetings in the government. Um, what would you say are some of the things that you are currently experiencing in your work and how are you tackling that? Well, of course, you know, at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, you know, we are going to tell the story, the unvarnished story of American history through an African-American lens. So we haven't been uh, <clears throat> directly impacted yet by the debates that are going on in schools around us, which is a good thing because we're here and we're, we're, we're a resource that hopefully people will utilize from throughout the nation if they find themselves in towns, in school districts where they're told, oh, you can't learn about slavery here. We don't talk about race here. Well, you can go to our website, even if you can't make it to Washington, D.C. Right. <laughs> you can even listen to you know our interviews um, and you can learn a lot about um, American history and African-Americans that way. So I think that you know our focus is clear. Our mission is clear and that hasn't wavered. Um, it's I, it is definitely unfortunate when I see uh, and I know personally people who are leaving school systems because they can't teach certain things anymore or schools are being banned. Although that's, that's backfiring, of course, right? As soon as they ban a book, the sales right. shoot through the roof. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. But then you see that there are people actually trying to stop bookstores from selling certain books. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. The, the, um, the forces uh, that are trying to uh, 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 stop, you know, learning people from learning things are, are, are powerful forces, but I would not say they're as powerful as, the, our desire to learn. And they never have been, right? Yeah. We wouldn't have had a Frederick Douglass. 
So there, there have been forces that have been trying to suppress our, our desire and our natural desire to learn for since we've been in this in this country, and mm-hmm. they've never been able to do that. So I think we just we just keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Real quick, um, since we were talking about powerful books, um, we know that your work uh, was featured in a book, um, and we wanted to talk about uh, that really quickly. Um, just talking about Bum Rush the Page, uh, simply because we also have, um, you know, we realize that we have somewhat of a connection, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, in terms of the the editors who worked on the book, even though we knew different editors, uh, that that was close enough of a connection <laughs> for us. So yes, can you talk definitely. a bit? Yeah. So can you talk a bit about Bum Rush the Page and what that experience was like? Sure. So I, I uh, submitted to this book when I was a graduate student. So at the time I was living uh, in North Carolina. And I knew that, um, and this, this has been, these have been the forces that have been, uh, and we haven't talked that much about that part, but um, I knew that I wanted to write poetry and do oral history. And, I, and that's still something that I'm intent upon doing. So um, I saw the call go out and I submitted this poem, which is related to oral history because it is based upon a story again that my mother and I should name her because I've been talking about her through this whole. <laughs> her name was Constance um, Elaine Gregory, and then her married names Navies Edwards. But um, so she, we were sitting down one night, and she started talking, and I was, I was, I was. This was informal. Um, I did record a little bit of this, and she started talking about something that she had never told me before about a boyfriend that she had that was beat by the police. Oh, wow. Wow. And so, I, you know, and she did say, you know, don't tell this story. But I felt that I had to tell the story. Mm-hmm. She had held it in all those years. Um, so I brought that together with, and it's all basically based upon my life. I was born in Detroit, Michigan, uh, two months after the, uh, the urban rebellion that took place in Detroit. Mm-hmm telling my age, but yes, that was 1967. So I wrote about that and I, because I was asking her, what were you doing, mom? Mm -hmm. And she said, I was sitting, you know, I would sit on the porch waiting for your daddy to get home. And she was worried about him. She was pregnant with me, if you can imagine that. She's holding in all this anger of what happened to her friend, you know, this just like all these people who are on the streets who were um, protesting because of what happened to those black men who were killed in Detroit. Mm-hmm. But she she stayed home because she was about to give birth, so very close to giving birth. So, um, you know, it's 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 a story that had to be told, and that's how that yeah. came to be. And uh, <clears throat> I was, it's, an, it's an it's an exciting book of poetry. I'm glad to be in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Shout out to all the poets who contributed Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. and shout out to uh, Tony Medina and, uh, the late and great. yeah, the late, great uh, Louis Reyes Rivera. Uh, I so interviewed those... Tony Medina. He's someone I've interviewed wow. for the museum and uh, amazing. Wow. Yeah, an amazing writer, and an amazing human being. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it is. And um, just a rest in peace. Shout out to Louis Reyes uh, Rivera. For those who don't, um, most of the people who listen, you know that uh, Rochelle and I both attended Pratt Institute. But uh, the reason why I just wanted to say a little something about uh, Louis Reyes Rivera um, early on when I had some difficulties in school, uh, the brother was responsible for um, doing what he could and working some magic to keep me there. 
Um, and he was just a powerful force on campus, which was amazing when you would see his stature because he was such a uh, like a like small man in appearance, <laughs> right. but just this amazing voice. And I mean, move mountains like, yeah, yeah um, definitely look up the piece he contributed online um, as well uh, yes. to uh, Deaf Poetry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, God bless him. Um, but yes, let's. Uh, keep it going but um but i also wanted to ask so now you know with with the work that you're doing where do you see it like i mean we've seen it change you know several times over uh in the time that you've been doing it professionally and then of course like from where it was before but like where do you see it going like in the future like when, like if you know your wildest yeah, so dreams. Like. So there are different pieces to that. So on a on a personal level, I mean, I'm all, I'm fed as a writer mm -hmm. by the oral histories that I'm collecting, and I do I have poems that I've written that are directly the result of stories that I that mm -hmm. I've heard that I've absorbed, right? Um, and they come out as poetry. So that's one piece, and I and I am um, working on um, publishing some things that are a combination of oral history and poetry. And um, so look for that. But mm -hmm. what I love about collecting oral histories is that I'm, I'm collecting these stories, right? And we're preserving them for anyone to use. Mm -hmm. I want visual artists. I want play writers to come along and, and to take this work and to, to use it, bring mm -hmm. it to life. And there are people that are doing that kind of work. There are people that are... Um, you know, turning oral histories into dramatic works. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that take the transcripts and, you know, interpret them through music. And I want to see more of that. I want to see a collaboration between artists and oral historians. Mm -hmm. um, we make them accessible, you know, via our website. Uh, we integrate them into media pieces. But if, if people see things like that, I hope it inspires them, you know, to take it to another level. Because we can't, we can't do everything that's meant to be done with them. And you know, you guys are artists. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many powerful things you can do with visual art, and, and I don't sing or any of that. But you know, it would be a dream to do something with my daughter, for example, to have her singing yeah. yeah. oral history. We'll see. You know, she's. she's oh, I would yeah. love to see that. Heading yeah. off to, yeah, I mean, something like that would be great. But I know that, you know, my time is limited as all of ours is. But Absolutely. I love it when people say, "I saw this oral history and I did." X, Y, and Z with it. Mm -hmm. We want yeah. people to do things with it. It's kind of yeah. the opposite of when people say you don't want people. Some people say you know they don't want people to you know steal their work. It's the opposite. Right. We want you to take this oral history and, <laughs> and do whatever it. you want to with it. Yes, use it. Take it out yeah. into the world. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious to know, and this is going to sound silly, so bear with me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I'm a bit of a. I'm, I'm the resident jokester over here, but I'm curious to know, have you ever seen on Comedy Central where they've done um, uh, like a drunk, drunken history? I have they, seen some of those, not on comedy, on YouTube, I've seen a couple. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I'm big and I'm into comedy, you know, people, I have a yeah. In fact, I have another side of me that would have loved to be a stand-up comic, of course. I know somebody's out <laughs> nice. there. My brother is out there right now going, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, they're probably out there doing that. But I um, I love humor and, and comedy. I think it's very important. I mean, it's another thing we wouldn't have survived without. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have, we have to laugh. 
Yeah. yeah absolutely. I don't, I don't, I don't want to comment too much on the whole Will Smith thing, but yeah, yeah, for sure. It's comedy. Like I was just like, come on now. It's, let's, let's lighten up here. Yeah. yeah. That's all yeah. I feel about that. And I, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I feel like the best work, like what it can do is, you know, even if they are using it to, um, you know, to, uh, to make people laugh in that moment, um, you know, sometimes when people are sharing this bit of history, like especially like the way they did it uh, with those sketches, um, you know, like the fact that they have two two uh, funny people sitting down having drinks. They they record the audio and then have these actors act out the stuff. But it's but rather than performing the uh, the, the real things that were said. You know, they're just using the audio of the people just telling the story uh, with people mouth. And it's it's done so well, but but it's done so well that it makes you want to dig deeper to find out how much of it's true because it feels ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah, right. Because it feels ridiculous, especially because you have two people under the influence telling it. (laughs) But like but it but it actually I found that um, one, because some of the stories they told I knew about. And and when I watched it, as funny as it was, the accuracy that like, you know, in terms of how accurate some of the information was that they were sharing, I was like, wow. So when I would watch an episode and it talked about something I didn't know, it made me do a deep dive to really find out how accurate that thing was. So, yeah, yeah I find that really interesting. And when you yeah. look at like someone like Chappelle, yeah. who, who includes like, uh, you know, like it feels random. But he's just a master at setting up something else, right? But uh, and look in his great history. I love when he talks about his own family history. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. absolutely. And all that is in him. And yeah, the person that he is today. So I mean, it's 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 pretty amazing. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, our stories. I mean, you, the reason why you ask yourself is this true? Is because it's hard to believe the things that have actually happened, right? Yeah. But my favorite quote comes from this interview with Bill Moyers and um, Toni Morrison. And he said to her, people say that your characters are larger than life. What do you say about that? Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, how serious Toni Morrison could Mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. Life is that large. (laughs) And that's exactly right. Like, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not making anything up. This is it. Right. (laughs) These people yeah. exist, yes. Yeah. What's the 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 phrase? Was it stranger than fiction? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm. So, what are your some of your questions that you ask if someone's starting out and wants to begin interviewing their grandparents? For for instance, what are the some of the questions that you think should be asked? What do you lead with? Well, first, you you wanted to take the time to. Um, to develop a connection. If you haven't been spending a lot of time with your grandparents, which um, unfortunately a lot of us don't. Yeah. Um, and so don't just you know, stop over one day and say, I wanna do an oral history. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I always tell people, you have to plan ahead. You have to let the person know that you're interested in interviewing them and then spend some time with the preliminary interview. And then what, during that preliminary interview, you, you're gonna find out that there are parts of their lives that you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. So, um, Start out simple. I always start out with simple early life questions before I delve into to deeper questions because you want the person to feel comfortable with you to trust the process. And the questions can vary. But one question that I often ask people has to do with when they first realized that they were black mm-hmm. and that that meant something. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you get very different answers depending on how, how old the person is, when they grew up, did they grow up in a segregated situation or, you know, that kind of thing. But it tells you a lot about that individual, right? So people might say, I, you know, I always knew, or I learned when I tried to drink out of the white water fountain, you know, mm-hmm. for example, that there was something that was going on there. So that's a question that I like to ask. Mm-hmm. But I find that it's the simple questions that get you the answers because a lot of times if you ask someone something directly, they don't, they don't, they don't answer. Like you don't just come right out and say, you know, um, what did it feel like to grow up during segregation? That's a big question, right? You're not yeah. going to really get a good answer. But if you ask people simple questions like, you know, how did you get to school? Mm. Right? Then yeah. they start to talk about you know, whether they had to walk miles or did they have to walk in a group because they were going through a different part of town or whether, you know, you get all kinds of really interesting questions. I mean, just here in D.C., when I did interviews, at, when I was a, a librarian, I did a project on U Street and I had people talk about walking all the way from southeast to U Street and not feeling wow. free until they got to U Street. Wow. So just asking someone a simple question about the very act of going from one place to another can really um, draw out some vivid, vivid stories. Wow. That's powerful. You know, it's funny. We watch so much um, in film and in TV where you have stories where people are interviewing their elders, especially when it pertains to um, the civil rights or even before and how a lot of folks, because of the trauma, do not are not willing to share those stories or to relive some of those memories. Um, and so I think what you said as far as making people feel comfortable and, and to trust that, you know, you're not going to be u- using their stories for, you know, financial gain or whatever. It's the case. Key. Yes, that's very key. Yeah. Trust is, is a central part of, of oral history. You have to, you have yeah. to build trust um, and you should take as long as, as you need to, to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. This one over here, she's she's being modest right now, but uh, but my nickname for it, I call her Black Barbara Walters because it wasn't until uh, you know she became a part of my family that like there's stuff I've learned about my mother and other family members that you know and and I realize it's because of how they see her, the trust that they have in her. It almost makes me feel away, you know. What yeah. I mean? If no, I mean, I'm being are, honest, you guys are doing that on the show. I mean, it's yeah, right, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no, but but yeah, it's um, but yeah, everything that you were saying and touching on, like, you know, I definitely it's like I'm playing it back. I'm whether I'm thinking about these interviews or thinking about conversations she had uh, Mm -hmm. with like my mom and other people. It's 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 an art. It truly is an art. No. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Powerful. So is it time? I think it's, it's time about for that the rapid time fire, right? for the rapid fire. Yes. So this is a segment we have where we ask you five questions. And it's basically the first thing that comes to your head. Nothing, you know, nothing too serious, but just um, the, that but that touches on, you know, a little bit of what you've experienced and what you've done in the past. So you ready? I think so. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> nothing serious nothing, I promise nothing crazy nothing, nothing crazy, crazy. Right. <laughs> so so the first one is um, what is what is your favorite historical figure yeah. mm, Benjamin Banneker wow DC okay yeah. all right I mean this self-taught mathematician and astronomer just amazing right I right. think about him laying on his back and looking at the stars and yeah. figuring it out just yeah 
Amazing. Uh, Amazing. That's a good one. Second one, most memorable historical fact about your own family. Mm. Wow, that's a good one. Oh, we just found out in the last two years a bunch of great stuff about our family. So I would say that my great, great, great grandfather on my paternal side um, was a free black man who was involved in the Underground Railroad in New wow. Albany, Indiana. Wow. 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 Yeah. Salute. That's amazing. That's awesome. Wow. So uh, next question would be favorite question you like to ask your subjects. Probably one of the ones I mentioned about race, but I'll see if I can come up with another one. But I think that's that's one of my favorite ones, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Next is what's your favorite book? I mean, I read a lot, but you you heard me mention Toni Morrison, so I would have to mm-hmm. say Beloved. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, she, she's, she's my favorite writer, and that book is mm-hmm. like a Bible, kind of book you go back to over and over again. Yeah. That's awesome. And our last one, if you could interview a historical figure to obtain their oral history, who would it be? Mm. I mean, that, that's only one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. I know. So I already mentioned I, Harriet Tubman would be great. And the reason great why I say Harriet Tubman is because she didn't write. Like we have books yeah. from Frederick Douglass. But mm-hmm. yes, I would love to interview Harriet Tubman. Oh, yeah. that's a good one. Mm. That's a good one. Wow. Yay. See, nothing too serious. Well, that wasn't too, too bad. bad. <laughs> you know, see? Nice and easy. Right? That wasn't bad. That was fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> great. Well, that that sums everything yeah. up. That was awesome. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and mm-hmm. your experience with us and with our audience. I I think everybody feels I can say feels you know inspired. If you don't feel oh, yeah, inspired absolutely. to go and interview your parent, grandparent, everybody Pappy, Gigi, that. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone should interview the elders in their family. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And before you go, um, if you could just share with everyone, like what's next for you, what you got going on, uh, what's going on at the museum, uh, tell them where they can just oh, find out more about so much, but I would, you, you should go to our website, namak.si.edu and you can look up the oral history initiative. Um, and you can see, you know, some of the oral histories and also you can see, uh, there's a video of, on how to do oral history uh, with your family, actually. But we're conducting oral histories now with um, with uh, artists. I don't know if you've been to the museum recently. There's an mm-hmm. exhibition called Reckoning, Protests, Deviance, Res- Res- Resilience. Mm-hmm. So we've been conducting interviews with the visual artists who are, are in that, including Amy Sherald, mm-hmm. Bisa Butler, Rashawn mm-hmm. Rucker, um, Sheila Pre Bright, right? And so that's an ongoing project that is that is continuing. And um, we'll be doing some social justice um, interviews that are coming awesome. up. So, yeah. That's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. So proud of the work that you all are doing. I mean, Definitely. if you, for those of you who, if you have not been to the museum, it, it's on your bucket. It needs to be on your bucket list. Like, yeah. it, and one trip is not enough. I mean, mm-hmm. we we live in the DMV. We We've were there gone so many times, <laughs> and it's still you still. I'm still learning things. I mean, yeah, I, yeah it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so yeah. true. Like every time we go there, you know, it's to the point you've been there so much that we were saying that you should be a docent. Oh, I've I've gone so much that <laughs> elders have like when I've when I've gone with like students or friends, elders have heard me talking to my uh, some of my former students or friends. They're like, "Do you work here, baby?" And I'm like, "No, I don't." You know, but I've you know I've had my practice. You know, but uh, but yeah, I I love it. 
uh, so much. Like it's a place where if if family and this is our plug for it, if you're sitting around with your family in the DMV and you're trying to figure out what to do this weekend, what to do this evening, whatever, if you, if y'all can't seem to agree, that's that's a great place to go. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you're not in the DC area, we have things on our website now. We have something called the Searchable Museum where you can mm-hmm. actually experience the exhibitions online, including some oral history. So yeah, there's a lot. See, so folks, Mm. you have no excuse. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You have no excuse. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and give you a round of applause right now. (laughs) But thank you so much for making time for us. This was amazing. Um, I feel like, you know, um, just learn so much about I, I just love learning about everyone's process, the different the different types of art that exist and how how different art forms that some of us practice are connected to art forms that we didn't really even know about right. fully. You know, that so part. so I appreciate the work that you're doing and thank you for making time for us. Thank you so much for having me. I have I've enjoyed this tremendously. You two are great. Oh, wow. Thank oh, you so thank much. You. We appreciate that. It. Definitely. And so, yeah, so uh, so if you got a quick sec, hang around. And uh, to all of our uh, viewers, everyone watching on YouTube, to everyone uh, listening, uh, whether you're listening on Spotify or um, or Apple, we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out once again to Words, Beats and Life and the amazing work that they continue to do um, in the DMV and globally as well. Um, thank you to them for being a sponsor. And yeah, everybody, we will catch you next time. Um, who do we have? Uh, who's our next guest? Okay, our next guest is going to be. I have to scroll. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait a we're, minute. We're, we're nearing the finish line, y'all. We we got two we, episodes left. Yeah. yeah, we have. Oh my gosh, it's gone so so fast. Uh, we got Tracy, Tracy Lee. Lee. Yes, Tracy yes. Lee Esquire. Yes, Tracy Lee Esquire. I gotta say the Esquire. <laughs> yes. Uh, so for those who don't know, Tracy Lee Esquire is a legendary hip hop artist, um, right. and um, he's also so uh, educator as well and um, and a lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. So um, has uh, taught um, and practiced inter- entertainment law. And yeah, man. And just an all around great brother, too. Um, you know, I love it when you meet uh, people who've had amazing contributions to the world, like mm-hmm. through their art or whatever. Um, but just walk around just. You know, you know, you see greatness when you see them, but they still carry a certain humbleness at the same time. And so that brother has been nothing but great every time I've had the pleasure of spending time with him. So it's going to be an exciting interview, uh, like as it usually is, I'd like to think. And uh, so we'll catch you next time. And thank you again to our guests. Thank you so much, uh, Kelly Navies. Uh, We appreciate you. (laughs) Did you see the concentration in my face again? I was like, I'm going to say it right. I'm going to say it right. (laughs) But thank you so much. Um, Everyone have a great night. I'll see you soon, but talk to you sooner. Peace, peace, peace. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. Season three of Artistry is sponsored by Words, Beats, and Life. Visit www.wblinc.org to learn more. This podcast is produced by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartandmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart and Music. Peace.